Salutations, friend, and welcome to the Profit Scale Podcast, where we help independent Black, Indigenous, and people of color entrepreneurs earn at their highest levels through securing corporate contracts. I'm your host, Ruth Joy Connell, your corporate consultant and sales enablement expert, and I'm on a mission to equip you with the systems and strategies you need to build a business of generational impact and income. Around here, we bring culture and coins together, providing all the learning, community, and support you'll need as you scale your business. So if you're ready to step into your next level of income and impact, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Turn up the volume and lean in, because we're about to get started. Salutations, friend, and welcome back to another episode of The Profit Scale. So you guys know that as we've been having these conversations, either with me or with some of the guests that I bring onto the show, that each guest shares a slightly different perspective around what it looks like to work with corporate, some of their expertise around strategies and tips that can help you be more successful, and others that share from their own experience about how they got into this journey and what it has looked like for them. That said, I am so excited to welcome our guest, Ebony Gassine Wilkins, to the show. And I want to tell you a little bit about her before we jump into this conversation. Ebony is a social justice writer and editor, media activist, and the CEO and principal consultant of Inclusive Media Solutions, LLC. She has helped corporations, nonprofits, local governments. She really works to help them assess their material and revise their content that better reflects the communities that they serve. Ebony works with corporations to shift the focus towards what we could do now to make content more inclusive, and she believes that the solutions we build with each other offer a next step towards shaping the world we want to become. So this is just a little glimpse into our guest and who you're going to get to hear from today. Ebony, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, RJ. Of course. I always love when we get to connect. I think we initially connected maybe in like 2019 or... I don't even remember how far back it goes, but I know we've kind of ran in the same circle since around then. Uh, we got connected through through another group that we were in together and then had the chance to stay connected. Every time we get to talk, I always love it. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. And it's just been such a privilege for me to watch you progress in serving corporate clients. And, you know, you've always been amazing at what you do, but it's been awesome for me to get to watch you do it bigger and better each year. So I'm really excited for our conversation today. So am I. It has been really nice having you in my corner. I love that. Well, I always like to start off with the person behind the professional. So I'd love if you could share with us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this career path. Back even in junior high school, middle school, I think I've always been in, had an interest in publishing. So I can remember a comic strip that I made for my history class back then to the school newspaper in high school to being a writer for a peer-reviewed journal in college. I've just always been in publishing in some way. And so around 10 years ago, I decided to write a book and I published it myself. And I said, this process was really interesting. I'd like to bring the editorial work in-house. And I put myself through a, a certification program where I learned how to be an editor. And from then, it all just took off. I've, 
absolutely fell in love with editorial work. I'm not even sure why, but it's something that (laughs) has always interested me. And it turns out I'm really good at it. Absolutely. And what about the social justice aspect of it? How did that come into play for you? Well, when I was living in California, I was working for a think tank and it was surrounding social justice. And that was my my first official dive into it because as I later learned about myself, I've been doing social justice inclusion kind of work since I was in high school. <laughs> Even when I was in high school and having lunch, I went to a pretty diverse high school. And I was always had that table where I was inviting people from different corners of the cafeteria, which was also different corners of the world, to come and sit together. And a lot of times those people didn't even speak the same language as I do. So Mm. it was just an opportunity to bring people together. And I realized that I've always been doing that work. So when I fell into the work formally at this think tank, it was a head dive into all of the social issues that so many of us experience all the time. And I learned more about the frameworks behind it and how it affected people. And for the first time in my life, I actually had a vocabulary to explain all of the things that I had felt and experienced and observed in the world. And then I said, I love this work. And at the time I was happened to be doing editorial work for that. And so I got to combine the two And I've been doing it ever since. I love that. Sounds like it's something that, like you said, has been a passion for you since you were younger. And then as you progressed in your career and evolved and then had that vocabulary to then express fully what you wanted to do and how you show up and blend the two passions that you have together with the editorial work and then with the work, pairing that with work in social justice, like you were able to create or really find the space where you could thrive professionally. I love that. It's really nice. And I realized, I don't think it was conscious at first, but I realized that all of the things that we do in editorial work, in media work, in all of it, has a real world impact on the most marginalized of us. Mm -hmm. And it feels like such a responsibility to do this work Mm -hmm. and to know that the things that I do affect other people. And when I figured out eventually with your help that I can make an entire business out of this, it was a complete game changer. I'm like, I can do good (laughs) and make money. (laughs) That's kind of amazing. Why are we not all doing this? (laughs) But you know, it's also a recognition that we don't all start from the same place. Yeah. And so it's both an honor and a privilege to be able to do this kind of work. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to dive deeper into that. I want to actually walk through your journey. You know, part of why I thought it would be so great for you to to be part of the show and to get to share your story is because there are so many women who are listening who are starting off in a similar place that you were a few years back where they have this expertise They have something that they are passionate about, extremely skilled in and knowledgeable in, and often have spent years building up that skill and expertise in their corporate jobs. And now they're at a place where they're looking at, what does this look like for me to 
branch out on my own. And that doesn't necessarily mean quit your nine to five, but what does it mean for me to be able to still do this work, but under the umbrella of my own name so that I have more freedom around what this looks like and of course can generate more income for myself and my family, et cetera. And so I really want to walk through your journey, go a few years back and tell me about where you were with your business. Like how did you get your business started and decide that you were going to work with corporate clients? Like what did that look like for you maybe a few years ago when you were just starting? When I was just starting, I was basically trying to make full-time work out of the kind of social justice editorial work that I had been doing for the think tank. I had decided this is what I want to do and why not branch out? Because there are other think tanks and other nonprofits that need this kind of work. So why not put myself in a position to do that? And so that's what I tried to do. And doing editorial work for one-off editorial work for nonprofits is a grind. <laughs> it's a tough grind. And there is not a whole lot of money in it the way I was approaching it. So just because I couldn't figure out a way for me to be profitable that way does not mean that it's not a profitable way to make, make a living. You see, this kind of work and just entrepreneurship in general, it takes a very active imagination and a lot of elbow grease to get things going. And so the way my mind worked, I realized that I needed to do something different. So first I was going to nonprofits and saying, hey, I can edit your reports for you. I have a social justice lens. I can do all of this for you. I can design your publications. I can edit your work for better inclusion. And then I said, hmm, maybe I can work for individuals to do the same thing. It turns out that was not a strength of mine. <laughs> Selling to individuals is absolutely not a strength of mine. It requires being visible all the time, being active all the time, being on social media much more often than I would like. I mean, I think we all like funny memes, but funny memes in my particular world are not going to get you business. They're just not. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to remember, I'm going to keep coming back to this theme of you have to have an imagination to think outside the box and think about just because someone else is doing something one way doesn't mean that that's the way to do it. It doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. And it doesn't mean that you can't take the lessons you learned from there, add your own twist to it and take it in a different direction. And that was a lesson that I had to learn. So before I came to you, I had definitely figured out that, man, Selling to individuals is not working for me. I am not a mind reader. I do not like trying to convince people that they need my solution. And I felt like selling to individuals was more uh, exercise in understanding what they needed me to know that they needed. I am not a mind reader and I was being tortured by having to do this. <laughs> And so I said to myself, I want to be able to just show people that they have a problem, show them that I can offer a solution. And if we agree that this is an interesting way to approach it, or this is a different way to approach it, or this is a way that you have not tried yet, then we should work together. In my opinion, it should be as simple as that. But I didn't have the language for this either. 
until I met you, RJ. <laughs> and then you showed me, <laughs> you showed me that things could be different selling to corporate and that selling to corporate seemed to be much more in line with my natural abilities of saying, this is the problem. This is the solution. This is how we can work together to get there. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily the same case for someone who wants to work with other individuals. You can understand their feelings. You can understand their motivations. But with corporate, their motivation is usually to get money and secondary to avoid lawsuits. And you know what helps avoid lawsuits? Being inclusive. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for sharing this. I, I think that frames your your start very well of, and again, I think a lot of people can relate to this, of having this skill set and wondering, you know, what does it look like for me to take this skill and expertise that I've developed over the years and do more with it? What is more for me? And you really pointed out that one of the rec one of the realizations that you had on this journey was recognizing that there are many ways to do something and that you had to find the way that was going to work for you. And so you did some trial and error. You know, you worked with nonprofits, you worked with individuals, and then eventually came to a place where you decided working with organizations was what suited you, your personality, your skill set, the service and impact that you wanted to create best. So at that time, when you're now transitioning from working with individuals, and, and you know, I, I want to ask as well, when you're working with individuals and nonprofits, in terms of the revenue that was coming in, was that meeting your expectations around, I guess, what you wanted to be making in your business? Working with individuals did not meet my revenue expectations at all. Just because you could get a good rate on certain projects and certain endeavors does not mean at all that it can be consistent. And you cannot pay yourself if you are not consistent. And so I realized that going after corporate money is going to be, it's still a very difficult thing to do, but it is not impossible because there are ways that you can approach it to make it sustainable. And that's the key. So there was a lot less guesswork. It's less guesswork a little bit less trial and error, and you can put the full genius of yourself behind it. What do you mean by that? If you understand, it's like working with a template. If you understand what you're supposed to be doing, then you can focus on filling in the details. The details are going to look different depending on the kind of person you are, the kind of business you're running, and the kind of outcomes that you want to achieve but you get to make those decisions. You don't have to stop and worry, how am I going to, well, you don't necessarily have to worry about how am I going to build this? Now, if you're someone like me who's really ambitious and really into intellectual property, then yes, you are going to be focused on building all the things <laughs> and making it so that you can build the kind of company, not just business, that you want to have. But outside of that, if you're just getting started and you know that there's a template that works, that can get results, then you can just worry about filling in the details. And when you have that rolling along really nicely, then you can say, okay, 
How can I make this sustainable for me? How can I reach my goals? How can I reset my goals so that I'm actually getting what I want and not replicating what someone else has or what someone else wants? You get to make it about yourself and your needs and your goals instead of just trying to become the next XYZ. I don't want to be the next XYZ. I want people to be the next Ebony. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. And what a beautiful analogy of using the template analogy of it's like working with organizations is like having a template. And from my understanding of what you shared, you're referring to more the process as opposed to like an individual email template. For those who might be thinking and getting a little bit more granular from, you know, what Ebony is talking about is that working with corporate is usually a little bit more formulaic in that there are steps that you can take. It's still going to take time. You shared, Ebony, that it's still a process. There are still challenges along the way, and it's going to take time, even when you're doing everything right. And I always like to stress that, that time is a factor that you cannot skip ahead. You cannot go around. You cannot shorten even per se. You still have to go through the process, and time is always going to be a component of that process. And so as you're talking about or use the analogy of the process, uh, likening it to a template and having that template, how did you then begin to fill in the template in the ways that were reflective of you, Ebony, who you wanted to work with and how you wanted to show up? Well, the way that I prospect is directly reflective of the people that I want to serve and the organizations that I want to serve. So for example, if someone has hired me before, then I have a really good understanding of what they need, where their pain points are, and where they want to go. Do my services fit those needs? They do because they've already hired me and I know that. So I can go and meet them where they are. If I want to work with local government organizations, Pitching them is not necessarily the fastest way or the best way to go about them, but the government will tell you what they need. They do that by doing RFPs, requests for proposals. They're literally saying, this is a problem that I have. I want you to solve it for me. I want all of the qualified people to tell me how they can solve it for me, and I will take it under consideration. So if people are literally telling you what they want, it's a matter of meeting, writing a proposal that meets their needs and sending it in. Now, it's still a slow process, just like pitching corporate is a slow process, but they're telling you what they need. There's no guesswork there. It's just a matter of do you fit in where they want you to be? So those are two ways that I do go and get business, or I attract business. The third way is referrals. And referrals are really nice when you can get them because it's basically someone who's already had success with you vouching that this works. I love working with this person. They met my needs. They are great to work with. And you should work with them too. Friend, it is finally here. I am thrilled to announce the highly anticipated virtual conference, Coinversations, Women of Color Entrepreneurs Breaking Boundaries and Sealing Corporate Deals. 
We created this conference in response to your request for a platform where women entrepreneurs can connect and focus on B2B corporate opportunities. Join us and learn directly from a panel of corporate decision makers and successful peers who have blazed the trail. You'll receive dedicated time and support to create an action plan that will help you secure your first or your next corporate client. And all of this while meaningfully growing your network of peers and partners. This conference is a one-stop shop for all women and women of color entrepreneurs looking to serve corporate clients and registration is officially now open. VIP tickets are limited, so friend, act fast to secure your spot. I am so excited to spend the day with you as we build our confidence, community, connections, and of course, our coins. Click the link in the show description to register now. Thank you for sharing that. It's really insightful to hear about the different ways that you approach seeing what opportunities are out there in terms of working with organizations and governments, and then also attracting opportunities to you. One of the ways that you didn't share was the work that you do in terms of publications and the writing work that you do, which not just aligns with your expertise and your skill set, but also really establishes your authority in your market. And I'd like for you to touch on that a little bit and just kind of share what that looks like, because it's really important for people to understand that, as you said earlier, there is no one way to do things. And you have spent a lot of time, even before we met, showing up in the places that your people were and doing that in ways that aligned with you. And so I'd love for you to just touch on that a little bit, just to share how do you show up in your own space, in your own market, where you know the type of organizations that you want to work with are present or are looking to these publications as places of authority? So some of the ways that I understand what people are looking for and how they show up is I'm in online networking circles of people who are doing related work. And so sometimes those people will say, hey, I'm looking for someone who does this kind of work. And sometimes people will tag me and say, hey, Ebony does this kind of work. Sometimes it is referrals, people who've actually worked with me, someone who's worked with me versus someone who is aware of what I do. Those are two completely different things. And sometimes I go to conferences. I have a conference coming up where I am leading workshops that I have written myself on how to do this work. And so a lot of people come to me based on knowing that I do this kind of work, whether they find me in the Editors of Color database, or they find me with the EFA, Editorial Freelance Association, or they find me through some other way. People who want to work with me know that I do sensitivity reviews, which is, it's an editorial service that allows people to review content for issues of inclusion or stereotypes or any of those bad things that make you wonder what people were thinking when they put them out. So (laughs) the services I offer are sort of ounce of prevention kind of thing. People come to me before things are out and they say, Ebony, help me make this better. And people know that about me. So that's why they come to me. And that's also why people are like, I've heard Ebony does this work. You should go to her too for the same reason. I love that you're sharing this and and also gave some examples of the places where you show up and places where people find you. 
It's so important to stress, and I love that our audience is getting to hear this from you instead of me telling them (laughs) to show up where their audience is. And that LinkedIn, while it is a fantastic platform and a great place to reach people, it's not the only place. You don't only have to be on social media. And if there are other methods that are effective for you in getting in front of your target audience and building connections or relationships or knowledge about who you are and what you do, If there are other places that are equally as effective, if not more so, then showing up there is also part of your marketing strategy. Just like Ebony said, attending conferences or being in particular groups that are associated with your industry and expertise, whether that's being present on certain publications or part of certain networking groups. And so I just love that you are expanding the horizon of what it looks like to show up and what marketing looks like, especially in a B2B context because it's not just LinkedIn and it's not just emails and you touched on RFPs as well and putting yourself in the running for proposals that organizations like governments are already looking for. And so there are so many different ways to do this. I just love that you are sharing this. Uh, This is something that I firmly believe and I always encourage people to choose five events for the year And they don't have to all be, you know, international. They don't have to require travel. It could be down your street. It could be in your city, the neighboring city. But choose five events where you can show up and build a network for yourself, whether that's local or whether that does require travel. Of course, everybody can, you know, what you can do in terms of travel, all of that's going to be different. But if you can start getting in front of people who you can develop relationships with and they know what you do and you know what they do and you can expand your network by meeting one or two or three other people. That is such an effective strategy when it comes to B2B. And of course, a lot of this takes time. Most of this, none of it happens overnight, right? It's it's not an instant gratification tactic, but it is a reliable strategy for building long-term relationships with people who are in your market and who can then refer you business and vice versa. You can refer them business. And so I just love that. I think I went on a bit of a rant here, but I was like, yes, I'm so glad that you were able to give that. I totally agree. And, you know, once you get in front of people and they remember you and they say, hey, can you come and solve my problem? This is the golden part here, because once you've worked with them and you've solved their problem or you've worked with them and you've helped them advance in some way, that is your golden opportunity to take it a step further. Something that has worked really well for me is making case studies. So once I've already solved a problem for a corporation, then I talk about, with their permission, of course, don't go against your contracts, people, (laughs) but you understand the problem that they have and you've made your solution work for them. So detail it out, show people how you've solved this problem in the past, because I can guarantee you, you get a couple of people under your belt, a couple of organizations hired you and they're pleased with you. And you can write up a case study about it and say, this is how I solved this problem. Because I guarantee you a few people down the line, they're going to say, so have you solved this problem before? How, how did you solve this problem? Who else has trusted you with this work? And it's always about trust. Who else has trusted you with this work? And you can say, well, this is how I solved this problem before. This is who's trusted me with their work. People love to see that because it's sort of a a version of social proof. You have said, 
this is what I can do for you. I've done it before and let me tailor a solution to what you need. That's what they want to hear. They don't want to hear about fast action bonuses. They don't want to hear that the (laughs) clock is going to run out if you do not hit that button at midnight. They're not interested in that. They're not. They want to know, can you solve my problem? Yes, I can. Let me show you how. That's where, that is where it lives. That is where Mm -hmm. the success lives. A testimonial is helpful, but a case study really lays it out. Yes. And you can shape that narrative. You can say, this is the problem they had. This is the unique solution that I provided. This is how it panned out. People love that. You're essentially telling the story of what it was like to work with you from the the perspective of your your client. So even if they're not there to express that, it's still their story that's being highlighted and the success and the journey and what that looked like. And it's a lot easier for organizations to connect with that than it is a testimonial. And one of the things that you said that I want to just highlight is when you're sharing a case study that is speaking the language of your prospect in the B2B market. Whereas testimonials tend to work a little bit better, you know, in B2C. And not that that's not to say that they're not effective in B2B, but an organization wants to see, just like individuals want to see themselves reflected, organizations want to see their organization reflected. And so a case study allows you to do that because it takes an organization that was either similar to them in maybe their structure or their goal or similar in the problem that they we're looking to solve and really walks them through, here's what I did and here's how I partnered with this organization to get to the same result that you're looking to get to. And so it is such an effective strategy for really building authority and that trust that you mentioned earlier with new prospects. And I love that question that you posed as well, that organizations are asking, who else has trusted you with this work? And so once you get that one client, I know that, for example, in Systems at Scale, I talk about collecting data and making sure that you have data that you can go back to and say, and measure the impact of your work to say, this is what I did. This is how you know, we were able to get to this goal. And so it makes such a difference to be able to lean on your own experience and and showcase that as a form of a way to build trust with your potential prospects. So Ebony, for you, when you joined STS and were then focused on working with corporate clients, what was your goal and what were you looking to accomplish through the program? You told me that I could get corporate clients and I said, that's what I want to do. <laughs> it was as simple as that. And you laid out all of the things that I needed to know in a way that helped me understand that this was possible for me. Because 15 years ago, I didn't know what freelancers were. I never understood what people said when they worked for themselves. I'm like, how how do you get clients? I don't know what that means. I don't understand what that means. And that's because that wasn't information that was available to me. And this was still in the age of the internet. You know, I'm older than Google, so. (laughs) (laughs) Most of us are. I saw that recently and I was like, that's crazy. (laughs) Like, how? How is that possible? But that information wasn't (laughs) available to me. And so for you, RJ, to come along and say, I can show you how to do this. I believed you and I trusted you. And I will tell you, everyone around me said, 
I cannot believe you're going to do this. And I said, this is going to work. And people are just like, whoa, (laughs) that's too rich for my blood. And I said, this is going to work. And when I made back, I think five or six times my investment, people looked at me with a shocked Pikachu face. I'm (laughs) telling you, people could not believe it. (laughs) It was hard for me to believe. I remember signing two five-figure contracts, like two weeks apart, right before the new year. And I'm sitting there in my apartment with a shock Pikachu look on my face because I said, I did it. <laughs> I did this. And then earlier this year, I closed the biggest one yet. I'm telling you, shocked Pikachu face. I said, I did that. <laughs> based on all the other things I learned from the last time. So this is now a cumulative effect. I made my own templates. I understood my own story. I laid it out for people. I met with people. I talked with people. I understood people. I listened. And I used some common sense and hired a lawyer when I needed to. And I got to tell you, (laughs) it worked. Flabbergasted is not even the word because, well, it shouldn't be the word because I worked hard. And I put in the work you did. and I understood what I was Absolutely. doing and I trusted the process. So why wouldn't it work for me? Why wouldn't it? There, there's no reason for it not to. If you put in the work and you listen to good advice, not the glam clan on the internet with the fancy photo shoots and the <laughs> shiny marketing funnels and the sales pages that are 10 miles long. I put in the work. I understood what I was doing. I stayed focused. Why wouldn't it work? I stayed the course. Why wouldn't it work? And it did work. And it's worked again and again and again. So why should I listen to other people (laughs) when everyone else is running around shiny objects? And I'm like, well, I have a signed contract here. And I have a signed contract (laughs) here. And I have these people who are talking to me about maybe signing other contracts. It's incredulous. And it's fantastic at the same time, because you're saying, I did this. And you know, my own mother is manifesting to me that, oh, you're going to get these contracts and sign these figures and all of these things. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to do that. Don't know how, but it will (laughs) come because I know what I'm doing because Mm -hmm. I followed the process. Mm -hmm. Oh, this makes me so happy. (laughs) I'm sure like, Well, you can see my face and I'm sure those who are listening can just hear the smile and my voice and the warmth. Like, I'm just, I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you because Ebony, you said it, you did the work. You did the work. You were the one who showed up. And even when there were times where things were taking longer than we expected them to take in terms of the, you know, going back and forth with organizations and sometimes where it was like, hey, they haven't responded to me. Do I follow up? Like I've followed up a few times now. Like, should I still follow up? And really leaned into the process through the discomfort. And I want to really highlight that and celebrate you because you did it. And even after It's been well over a year since you finished the program. And so even after you have left, you've continued to see success in working with organizations and have had, like you said, your biggest contract to date. And that is that just makes me so happy. I'm so happy for you and just so excited to see you continuing to grow and that confidence that you have in yourself and your ability to to do this successfully, like you have answered that question for yourself. Can I do it? The answer is yes. 
and you showed yourself that truth and made it a reality. And so just like you said, now your mom is, is manifesting that, Hey, these bigger things are down the road and you can believe that that's true for you. And that roadblock, that hump of really believing that this is possible is a very big challenge that a lot of women face. So I'm so grateful to hear for you to share your journey and for others to be able to hear that you asked yourself that same question, can I do this? And you decided that the answer was yes. And so you showed up accordingly. And I just, I love that. I'm so happy for you. I'm so, so, so happy. Thank Congratulations. You. It's a huge milestone. The confidence builds. It's slow, but it builds because I have to tell you, you look at, you put in all of the work, you write your proposals, you send them out, you wait, you follow up, you go through the whole thing. And then when they say, okay, send me the contract and you're in contract negotiations, you're just like, oh no, contract negotiations. Where's the lawyer? I have to read all of this. Ah. <laughs> and then you think to yourself, I don't have all of the resources that these big companies have. How can I negotiate? Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you something. The very first contract that I negotiated under your leadership, RJ, was for a subsidiary of a conglomerate. And these, these people have lawyers. Their lawyers have lawyers. They, they're just lawyers <laughs> all over the place. There are clauses and just things all over the place. And I successfully negotiated that on my own. I knew when to walk away. I knew what concessions I wanted to make. It was really scary at first. It was really scary until you get that ink dry and then you celebrate. Mm -hmm. And then the next time you have a contract negotiation, you know what you say? I've done this before. You know what to look out yes. for. You know when to back down. You hope that you don't have to, but you know when to back down. <laughs> the confidence just continues to grow because when you encounter mm -hmm. more prospects and you get more clients, and you work through these contracts with them, the agreements, not just the legalese, you learn even more things, which makes you even more confident for the next one. And so the confidence mm -hmm. just continues to build. I don't know what I'm going to be like in 10 years, but oh man, I'm kind of <laughs> looking forward to it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. And you know, negotiations, it, it is a, a scary part of the process. I think when, especially when you're first getting started, almost every step can feel scary because, you know, it feels uncertain. There's a lot of uncertainty when you're asking yourself, can I do this? And will this actually happen? And so every little step you take forward still feels like you're stepping on unstable ground because it hasn't been tested yet and like proven so that you can maybe rest a little bit as you take that next step forward. So especially when you get to con to negotiations, like that's that's a foreign concept in the world of B2C, right? When you when something is a particular price, it, at least here in North America, you know, other countries in the world and other parts of the world haggling and negotiating is is a thing, but not so much here. So when you see a price, you know, when you're working with uh, an individual or when you are buying from a business, as an individual, the price is usually the price. And and price is not even the only, that's usually the only thing that we're looking at is price. We don't get to negotiate around shipping and handling and you know how we're going to receive that, <laughs> that package or whatever it may be. And then when you get into the world of B2B and you are not just looking at price, but that is just one one small thing in the scope of the whole contract. 
and of the of what it's going to look like to work together. So then you have all of these other contracts and cl- clauses around intellectual property, around uh, the scope of work and and all these other things that can be new and maybe unfamiliar to navigate, but that also sometimes make you question, if I challenge this or if I push back on this, is this going to end the deal? Is this going to you know, kill the deal here and then I have to walk away or then I have to start all over again? So it can feel very scary to go into that first set of negotiations and recognize that even the negotiations are a part of the process. Like they are a normal part, a normal expectation for organizations. And so there are other suppliers, other small business owners who have received contracts from larger organizations, especially ones that might be as big as the one that you worked with and can feel very intimidated. So they don't push back. They don't make sure that the working agreement of that contract is reflective of what's important to them. And of course, protective of them as well. And, and, I I say that to say that you going into that process and being willing to, you knew what your concessions were, you knew if and when you would walk away from that agreement. And even just that, the willingness to walk away, even though, of course, that's, that's not the outcome we're hoping for. But if that's what it came to, then you were determined to put your, yourself, your business, your expertise, your IP and make sure that those things were protected so you could continue to do the work that you love beyond that one potential contract. So if it didn't work out, you had decided my skill, my expertise is worth more than whatever number might be coming from this organization. And so here's how I'm going to protect and honor what's important to me. And I'm going to bring that to the table. And what I think others maybe don't yet realize is that in doing so, even that creates trust in the prospect that you're looking to work with because that negotiation process takes your professionalism to a whole new level. They now know you are not just an expert in the service that you're providing, but you are professional overall. You know what to look for and you can bring your thoughts, your ideas, your concerns to the table confidently and create a space for discussion around them. So, All of that to say for those who might still be feeling a little nervous about negotiations and what do I say and what does this look like, all that to say, you can have success with negotiations just like Ebony has and do it in a way that aligns with you, what you're looking for, how you want to serve and show up and is protective of your expertise and your authority. So I'm so grateful that you shared that. Just that insight I know is going to be so helpful to the women who are listening to recognize, okay, I can say what I want. You know, it's probably the best way to put it. (laughs) I can be clear and, and say what I want and lean into that. Absolutely. Okay. So we are, we're wrapping up. This has been such a wonderful discussion and I'm just so grateful. Ebony, thank you so much for really just sharing your story openly and your process. I know that those who are listening are going to be encouraged by your story and recognizing that for me, one of the biggest things that are encouraging that you shared is really you decided as you were asking yourself the question, can I do this? You decided that the answer was yes. And so you showed up accordingly. And even years later, after you finish a program, even when we're not working together, you are continuing to operate in that belief and that confidence of I can do this. And you are continuing to see the results of that and the benefits of that. So that's one of the biggest 
uh, pieces of encouragement, even for me as we're having this conversation. And so I'd love to know what's a piece of advice that you would share with a woman who is asking herself that same question, can I do this? I would say that you are much more powerful than you think. I had zero examples of what this could look like before I met RJ. Zero examples. I literally did not know a single soul in this world who had closed a corporate contract. And I decided that I was going to be the first one of the people I know to do it. Every time I write a proposal, every time I negotiate a contract, every time I send an invoice, I am asserting and realizing and remembering that I am powerful because these people want to work with me. These organizations are putting their trust in me. I am worthy of their trust. I am worthy of their respect. And I'm worthy of their money. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I don't need to second guess myself in a way that devalues me. Every single time I go through this process, I will feel a little bit nervous, but I understand that that's just a lot of conditioning from a long history of not knowing things and not knowing people, mm -hmm. but that I can become those things and become those people and people can eventually look to me. You are so much more powerful than you think. Learn to trust yourself and be honest with yourself. And your intuition mm -hmm. will show you a lot more than you think. I love that. I encourage you, everybody who's listening, I encourage you to, even if it's just this very last part of what Ebony shared, just rewind that and replay it for yourself and use that as your own affirmation, your own encouragement. Ebony, you said when you started, you didn't know anybody who had secured a corporate contract, but because you did it, because you stepped out, because you believed in yourself, now every other woman who's listening does know somebody who secured a corporate contract and you can be, for some of them, that first person that they know. And so I'm so grateful for you being willing to share your story and just partner with me in this way to really encourage the women who are listening. Ebony, thank you so, so, so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, RJ. All right, friend, if you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to connect with our guest on social media using the links in the episode description. As always, I'm so grateful that you chose to spend this time with me, and it's my hope that each episode plays a part in moving you one step closer to building a business that will have a generational impact. Friend, I need your help. It's my mission to provide this podcast as a resource for women and women of color entrepreneurs all over the world, and I can't do that without you. Every time you leave a review, it helps increase our reach, making it easier for fellow women entrepreneurs to find us. Will you take a moment to leave a review for the podcast? This small gesture means so much to me, and it's the best way you can support us if you love the podcast. And if you've left a review before, you can leave more than one. Every review goes a long way. All you have to do is hit the link in the show notes to leave a rating and a review or head over to Apple Podcast and leave us a review and rating there. And will you do me one more small favor? 
take a second and share this episode with a fellow entrepreneur. Sharing even just one episode can make a world of a difference for the person listening on the other end. On behalf of myself and the team, thank you so much for supporting us in doing so. I'll be here at the same time and same place in two weeks. And until then, I wish you coins, confidence, and all the bags. Talk to you soon, friend.